Welcome to The Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. My role here is to feed grapes to Jonathan whilst he relaxes <laughs> across a sage lounge. You'd like that, wouldn't you, actually? What an image. Yeah. This week we're looking at what is set to completely transform how procurement is set up, how it operates, and the way organisations will source much of what they need in coming years. We're talking about what is coming to be known as intake, Mm -hmm. as a word to describe the next generation systems that will power our companies. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. And to help me do this, let me introduce our guest this week. He is head of research at Zip. Zip has exploded onto the procurement tech scene from zero to hero in just three years with what they describe as the world's leading intake and procurement orchestration solutions. Previously, he was VP of research at Spend Matters, where he architected new research initiatives and built the firm's analyst training program. He's also been recognized as a supply and demand chain executive 2023 pro and as a SIG rising star for the 2022 Future of Sourcing Awards. He began his procurement career as a lowly copy editor who cared probably too much about the differences between hyphens and dashes and m dashes. I have no idea what that means. A two-time graduate of Northwestern University holds an MSJ from the Medill School of Journalism. Please welcome to the procurement show Nick Heinzman. Nick, hello. Hello, and thanks for having me. Before we go any further, until recently, intake just wasn't a thing. And now it is the new buzzword. It's the new thing that we keep hearing. So let's start with what is intake? The simplest way to think about intake is the front end of any procurement process. And actually, the emphasis here is on easing access to procurement from any angle, whether that is from the stakeholder angle or supplier angle. And of course, intake is actually not a new concept in procurement. It's existed as long as procurement has. The difference, though, is that intake has evolved into a tech category, whereas many organizations have previously had multiple kinds of intakes, maybe one for requesting a purchase, maybe one for sourcing, one for onboarding a vendor or starting a contract. There is now a notion of one type of intake or what we would call one front door to the procurement process. So the difference is now that we have a single point of contact, and the formal definition of this category has evolved into creating a single point of contact for the rest of the organization to request support from procurement. So requesters are then routed to either the correct endpoint application, something we call routing, or the person in the department to whom they need to interact to fulfill that process. So intake should have the ability to track request processes so that requesters and procurement know the standing and disposition of any request. The interesting thing to me, though, is that what has started as intake around the 2020s has rapidly evolved into not just a larger tech category, but to something people are starting to call procurement orchestration. And this is more about orchestrating or coordinating all the workflows, the data, the integrations, and the people involved in the process across multiple assets, whether those be internal or multiple between an internal and external application. Now, we're used to some quite big names here, especially, Mm. say, in the wider world of procurement. Some of them good, some of them not so good. There are big players in this world that have dominated this whole sphere for many, many years. So is this the end of the road for such systems? I think end of the road is a bit severe. More likely, they will need to adapt. 
I think what we can all agree on, even from that short introduction from you, is that ERP, S2P, P2P, what have you, they have hit a wall somewhat in terms of adoption, in terms of spend under management. Many would argue even in terms of ROI, they've hit a ceiling. And the stumbling point, at least in our point of view, is that the usability and the ease of interactions with stakeholders was the impetus for that. In fact, it was actually the impetus for starting Zip. Our two co-founders, Rujul and Lou, were working at Airbnb on the tech side and in terms of product and both engineering. And what partially motivated them to start this company was the experience of needing to renew software that they needed to use to get their jobs done. What happened was instead of going through what they thought would be a orderly process, they were instead directed by their procurement department toward their ERP system, which they hadn't even realized was the right starting point. In fact, they didn't know what the starting point was and that the ERP was also a procurement system. And then when they had to go through things like security approvals, checking the contract against the CLM, they also had to go to different systems. They had no idea how to do that. Instead, they were looking, as is common for a stakeholder in the process, at a PDF guide or a chain of emails to direct them where to go and what to do. Intake as a category started because of this problem, not just for our co-founders, but also in pretty much any kind of company. We have other practitioners who now work at Zip, for example, even at large organizations, who know and have shared their own PDF documents that they used to use, and with all these different arrows saying, click here, and then go to this system, and then fill in with this type, but don't say this because it doesn't work. Many of the large players who are known for systems have built with a top-down approach around things like catalogs, things around these PDF guides to show you how to use the system correctly. They are now coming up across a different type of system that is asking them to evolve themselves. And there's a few different points, but one of the big ones is around how you adopt the system, especially around the way you approach pricing. And it's much more around trying to get everyone to use the system and pricing or usage models that reflect that. It's also around platforms that don't necessarily require reliance on the systems integrator or consultant. So they're typically more of a no-code platform. You can actually do configurations yourself. And then Instead of a catalog basis, like I was talking about, it's much more of a workflow basis around how work is triage, work is guided, and distributed amongst stakeholders and procurement to more effectively use everyone's time across the systems. It sounds as though your innovation was driven by sheer frustration. In a lot of ways, it has been. And that's a recurring theme, not just as the impetus, but also as guidance we've gotten from our customers. And Zip has grown very rapidly to support over 300 organizations when they're in date to procure and then later other processes, including procure to pay, sourcing, et cetera. The reason why is because we've taken a very different approach to how we solve this problem. I think in the past, there was this image of a top-down mandate and compliance-driven procurement. Increasingly, I think the future of where a lot of these systems are going is more of a bottoms-up approach where yeah. you get the adoption first and the trust with stakeholders and you use that adoption to drive better visibility and thus better control and continuous optimization. That is more of the orchestration and intake approach. So you mentioned about catalog buying just now, which of course is the ultimate sort of transactional Mm -hmm. place that procurement teams end up doing, where you put in some big ERP system and then you have the admin team that are looking after the catalog for you. But however you're sourcing, you are doing that bit of sourcing. You're putting in place the agreements and then you're setting it up on your system so people can then transact with that arrangement. So it seems that the real shift here 
is very much away from that traditional approach where the procurement function does the arrangements that the system then allows you to call off from to one where it's actually doing the procurement bit for you, which then begs the question, can it be more effective than a traditional procurement team? Because you're effectively taking out one of those traditional layers of what procurement does. I don't think of it as black and white like that, but the way intake approaches this problem is we're actually not necessarily trying to replace that, but look at the process before it gets to the procurement team. How much can intake influence how early and how effectively procurement can engage a stakeholder before they have set the agreement in place? For example, in terms of discovering the right suppliers, in terms of getting involved earlier in the sourcing process, and then bringing the stakeholder along in that. The way I think about this is really not augmenting the extent of the procurement team and the process they've laid down so that people can more effectively follow it. But this, of course, gets into a discussion about types of spend and where intake is then best applied. I think in the catalog world, you're talking a lot about things like tail spend. Catalogs and self-maintained catalogs likely will always exist in procurement. But in my discussions with a lot of other people in the industry, including other industry analysts, what we're seeing is that the future of emphases in these RFIs for these kinds of systems is increasingly less on catalogs and more on the ability to maintain robust punch-out systems, access to various marketplaces. Mm -hmm. Where intake fits into that is that, you know, in the past, maybe a bit longer ago, getting the right access to the right catalog or the right punch-out was itself a burden for a stakeholder. You had to know which one to go to or where to find these things. In an intake-based system, you're going to be dynamically routed not only based on the questions you're answering during the intake, but also what position and role you hold in the system, your department or business unit, all of these factors that are encoded in the system and then being routed to the right catalog automatically, the right marketplace that procurement wants you to go to. So I think the idea is really about guidance. It's in a way an evolution of this concept of guided buying, but enacted in a much more modern way than versus trying to route someone to what we'd call maybe an Amazon experience. Hmm. It's actually even more robust than that. That being said, I don't think framing it as replacing the procurement approach to curating is necessarily right. In fact, procurement is trying to curate and influence that interaction with the stakeholder much earlier, rather than saying, here is a black and white version of things you're approved to buy and then not. Because ultimately, when we think of things like rogue spend, maverick spend, what have you, we see a lot of the time that people are looking for something and they can't immediately find it. It feels too difficult. And they go off the ranch to find out how else they can get it because it's probably too difficult. That's a very diplomatic yeah. answer. I can yeah. tell Jonathan's trying to pitch you one system against the other. But no, you're taking the diplomatic route there, which is very, very good. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. Ever stop to think about how things get to us? Yes, especially when the takeaway is <laughs> running late. For some goods, the supply logistics are less than easy, and in some cases, people put their lives on the line just to move things from A to B. Mm -hmm. Take road haulage, for an example. Do you have any idea what the three most dangerous roads in the world are? Oh, good grief. Um... Let me tell you. 
<laughs> you didn't even give me a chance to answer. Just in case you <laughs> answered one of the ones that I had on here. Number three, the Dalton Highway. Right. Ever heard of that? I think so. It's in Alaska. Have you ever seen ice truckers? Yes. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. Stuff yeah. is getting trucked along this ice road. 414 miles long, freezing temperatures, terrible visibility, mammoth potholes. And if you don't get it right, you could just disappear through oh. the ice and you die. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is logistics, moving stuff around. That's number three. Have you any idea what's in number two? Somewhere Let that me ha- tell you. <laughs> At number two <laughs> is the Tibet Highway in Sichuan, China. One of the most <laughs> extreme and deadly highways. China's longest high altitude road it stretches for 2,400 kilometers and reaches 20,000 feet altitude. Drivers not only face the threat of rock falls, mudslides, but also can get altitude sickness because it is so high. Is it one of those roads that has a sheer drop on the side? Ah, have you any okay. idea what the world's most dangerous road is for supply chains? It'll be one of those Let roads. me tell you. <laughs> it is the North Yungus Road in Bolivia, otherwise known as Death Road. Ooh, there's a clue there. Yeah. It is an extremely narrow mountainside road with 2,000 feet drops oh, and no safety no, barrier. No. Not only that, the local oh. trucks don't hang around and there is barely enough space for two vehicles to pass and if you're on that vehicle and something's coming towards you they just go for it have you ever seen the top gear episode when they do the bolivia trip i haven't but i'm sure you're going to describe jeremy it. clarkson yes. almost fell off the side and oh, you what literally <laughs> you have the wheels on the side of the road and you're literally just trying to keep the vehicle on the road oh. about 300 drivers lose their life each year as they just fall off the edge well, on that bombshell, let's get back to the podcast. The Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. You touched upon it earlier. Is intake therefore something that we can expect to be using for all spend eventually? Or is it just some spend, but are there particular scenarios where it works better than others? There are a couple that I really emphasize, and it's because of the way that spend has evolved over the last especially 10 years, but I would say even the intensity following the pandemic of different types of spend. The first one is complex spend. There is an increasing trend of other departments beyond procurement, needing to buy more services, things like software, things like complex services, maybe around consulting services, legal services, those kinds of categories, as well as the digitization of things that were previously manual. You think of print versus marketing, advertising. I have this um, talk I love to give around the explosion of different and new types of vendors. If you look at marketing, for example, you might have had to manage the ad agency, the TV relationships, some print. In the past today, it's how do I manage all of these influencer budgets? How do I manage all of these different web properties, advertising in multiple formats, et cetera? So there's a lot of complexity around these things, especially in things like marketing, IT. That also requires a lot of interaction with other departments to get this done. So if I take software as the example, you can't just onboard whatever software vendor you want. You need to check with IT to see how it fits in the architecture. You need to check with security to check if that's going to fit with general GRC principles. If I'm onboarding a vendor that I can work with, maybe I'm looking at GDPR if I'm in the EU. Legal, although has to get involved, as we obviously know, looking at procurement contracts. The point is, the more complex the spend, the more approvals and cross-functional involvement is required. 
the more an intake and orchestration solution is actually needed because legal might reside in a CLM to get their work done. The IT department might reside in a ticketing system, or they might have a separate GRC system that they share with security to get those checks done. The more cross-functional a process, the more orchestrating the entire process so that people don't need to punch out of one system on a swivel chair in order to get the process actually done. So that's number one. The other one, and frankly, I speak from experience, even uh, we're about, guess, 300-ish and growing employees right now also, I have a lot of tailspin that even I buy Mm. that gets very much more effectively routed in an intake system. So we have connections to punch out catalogs for our simple buys. I am able, when I'm looking for a five $700 purchase for specific sponsorships that I need for my department to go and get a virtual card and go down the right route for that. If there's a legal involvement that's needed by signed contract, they get looped in, obviously. But it's relatively easy for me to guide myself through the proper procedures to get those kinds of purchases and connect, you know, as Zip does a simple purchase request with a generation of a virtual card, which can have all of these controls on it. So complex services and complex spend around that, but also tail spend is effectively routed in these systems. If I was going to summarize it, indirect is all for the picking. But I think those two examples, especially like around the more complex ones, is where intake is most valuable. Where it's not as applicable yet is something that procurement itself initiates, so direct spend. I would hope that your organization isn't at the last minute having a request from the manufacturing line saying, hey, we needed all these fasteners to put this door together. Can you go get them for us? Usually procurement's going to be looped in more effectively early on that kind of thing. They're going to have more autonomy to make those decisions if they're brought in at the right time, which is hopefully closer to the design stage. So it seems there's a sort of spectrum here, because when I first started hearing about intake systems, I thought, okay, here's a thing that just goes and does the sourcing. But there is this spectrum, which is giving a new front end to what procurement has traditionally tried to do, where you've got that complex spend, which requires that interaction, requires that stakeholder engagement, requires you to think about how you're going to solve that particular challenge, right down to those everyday things, which are routine, where you can punch out to a catalog and stuff like that to be able to do that. That's giving that broad new front end to how we do procurement well, the strategic and the everyday stuff. But it then raises some obvious questions if I'm a CPO. How do I know it's going to do it well, especially if it's beginning to replicate some of the Amazon model, it's beginning to be able to punch out to sort of Amazon-type workplaces for the everyday stuff? How can I know that it's going to do that well? The important thing to understand about these systems whether you're starting a new intake process, you're orchestrating a larger or complex process, is that you are ultimately in control of the process the whole time. The way that I like to think about it is almost like supervised sourcing. The idea is you want to create complete visibility of the entire end-to-end process for everyone involved. And you see this often when we do demos, either at a booth or you know during a sales cycle. There's a light bulb moment that goes on when they see what we call our request details page. And it's essentially a visualization of the workflow of every step in the process gonna happen, every integrated system and all the tasks and subtasks associated with each of those steps in the workflow node. For a CPO, this is not a question of pushing all the work to a stakeholder and saying, you do it, the system will generally guide you. You are also maintaining all the visibility into what happens in that process. And you're able to, like I mentioned before, because these systems are typically no-code platforms, actually configure and adjust these workflows, these approval steps to what you need to to make the process ultimately work. There's also a notion of a lot of data exhaust that comes from this process, setting SLAs in terms of how fast this needs to get done, what is being bought, what the interactions is, what the audit trail in terms of comments and the actions in the system. It should be ultimately our approach to continuous improvement. Your intake is going to dynamically route you to the right places based on what you decide 
should be. So if there's certain vendors, certain categories that are too critical, or maybe if we're talking about marketing, for example, we don't necessarily want them to be having an aggressive hand in picking the right advertising agency because there might be some personal relationships involved. That can be encoded in the system. I actually think of this really as an approach to how do I take my procurement policy my approach to governance, which might have previously looked in a PDF document that we hope that someone would access on my Google Drive or my SharePoint and make sure they do it right, versus creating workflows that are in effect policy as code that allow you to, as a CPO, have supervision over these processes, but give a little more autonomy back to the budget owner so that, and we can talk about this in a bit more detail, like in a way that helps your team not be strained doing the work of administration on these things. Because what we see a lot of with our customers is people talking about one of the leading metrics for my improvement in terms of productivity and control over the process is how many emails am I getting about the process itself? Because we all have had this experience of needing to use tools outside of the tool to get the work done. Things like email, phone calls, Slack, et cetera. There is a lot of opposition to the process because it's not intuitive enough. It's not easy enough for people to follow Ultimately, what will happen is that you are going to be sourcing a critical category and you're going to have more visibility, but you certainly will not have sourcing done without input. It's interesting because just now you used the advertising industry as the example of where personal relationships might be involved. And that's an industry that I work in. There's a risk here with regards mm. to intake systems yeah. and how they replace the buyer to become the channel between the company and the marketplace. And there's that risk of being pushed to the system's preferred source. Yeah. One where the biggest kickback exists for the yeah. provider, the fear of manipulation. We've used mm -hmm. Amazon as an example. Yeah. I'm really sorry, Amazon. You're great. Okay, but you know, it's just a natural example for us to use where they will guide us to a product it most wants us to buy. Yeah. Is that a real risk? Here, I don't think so at all. Actually, the way these things work is that ultimately, and much like the old paradigm, you're configuring the system to route people to their preferred source of supply up front. What happens in a typical intake scenario is that once you start answering some questions, you have your list of preferred vendors for that specific category, and you're going to push those up. Or especially as we get more into an era of AI, we're using the intake process as a way of routing people to the right source of supply. For example, if you're suggesting a new vendor, and there is already a vendor that has a semantic match or something that happens currently in the organization with a current vendor in the current supply base, you are then suggested, hey, these seem like they overlap, you should consider this. And so that suggestion is put up to the stakeholder. They can, of course, bypass that and think they need a specific one. But also on the procurement end, when someone is going through that approval, they're also given that same recommendation saying, it looks like these overlap, you should look into that. So actually, it's not about providing access on the supplier side to opportunities to be promoted, because ultimately, procurement is still in control of the configuration of the workflow and is giving ultimate oversight on how that process should unfold. We're trying to suggest and guide people to the right source of supply. But at the end of the day, procurement, unless it's a low value activity where there's not as much benefit for procurement to necessarily be involved, is ultimately being given the role of overseer of the process still. Where does category management sit here? Is that part of how intake systems work or will work into the future? Is it something embedded or will we still be applying traditional category management as a separate thing? What do you think? Here, I think it's both. I think it's on the one hand part of sourcing, you are setting the category strategy yep. and it will influence your sourcing cycle. And that's also going to put generally 
certain vendors in front of you, you're going to build the workflows around what is important in that category, whether it might be certain risks or certain preferred types of sources of supply, for example, diverse suppliers. As part of intake, however, you are also going to see options presented to users that help them gather more information in the process. And this is how we've approached actually building our sourcing tool, which is something we've released at the back half of 2023. We wanted, based on our feedback, to give our own customers the ability to gather more requirements earlier with stakeholders, go through that process, and ultimately flip the requirements gathering directly into the RFP and construction phase. We don't do category management, but I think that is a natural linkage for category management. And as part of the things we orchestrate, for example, I think building the category planning strategy as part of the sourcing workflow, which is, of course, before event construction, the actual bidding process starts, is the natural place for category management to sit. So you have the intake process gathering requirements from the stakeholder, and you're translating and working on those requirements as part of the category strategy and planning process. And then that ultimately should lead to the sourcing process. So I think it's relatively early days, and I truthfully haven't seen any specific examples around category management integrated into intake. But as we go into the future, that's a very natural step mm, that I think yeah. more experienced and mature organizations are going to start asking for. Yeah, definitely. It's time to Ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan comes from Simon Person from Manchester in the United Kingdom Shire, who writes, I've just finished reading your book, Sustainable Procurement. I've actually yet to start it, but I hear it's quite a good read. Uh, which has completely changed how I see things and has also got me all fired up and want to change things. It has inspired me to want to pursue the goal of helping companies make how they buy more sustainable, but I don't know how to start. I don't have a procurement background. My background is mechanical engineering and I've worked overseas for most of my career. What would you suggest? That's a brilliant question. Thank you for buying my book as well. Having an engineering background is a great procurement background to have. Mm -hmm. So as we've said many times, you don't need to have a procurement background. There's procurement stuff you need to learn, but you don't need a procurement background. In fact, these days, some of the best procurement people don't come from procurement. And the key thing is, if you want to drive sustainability in the supply chain and help drive sustainable procurement, it's about, yeah, you've got to kind of understand those basic procurement things. Yeah, read my books, you'll get all the tools you need from that. But it's then about how do you work with everybody else in the organization to be able to drive change. So if you've got those kind of basic procurement things, get an understanding of sustainability and the sustainable procurement book will give you that and figure out using your engineering background, how can I look at this supply chain, look at this thing we buy, understand what the impacts and the risks and the opportunities are in sustainable terms and how do I then work with the organization to drive it? The book gives you the process for how to do that. What we're seeing in organizations is organizations are setting up sustainability teams and they've also got procurement teams. And of course, the sustainability teams don't know anything about procurement teams don't know anything about sustainability but actually bringing those two together is creating this wonderful synergy because everybody's learning from each other and crucially people are working together sustainable procurement is successful because organizations have people work together they engage cross-functionally just as we've been trying to do for many years with category management and supplier relationship management 
For sustainable procurement, it is even more essential. So how do you do it? You get into an organization, you start engaging with other functions, you learn the basics of procurement, but you also learn the basics of sustainability and you work together with everybody to drive change. Key point there, working together, Absolutely. I see. Thank you very much for your question, Simon. And if you've got a question to ask Jonathan, here's how to get in touch. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. How would intake change what procurement teams look like in the coming years? This is the one we talk a lot about, especially with our largest customers. We're often talking about where is the team structure going and what are the influences there. It's a regrettable fact, but not just for procurement, even with other finance organizations, even some IT functions, even legal. There are fewer interested employees for some of the traditional support functions, and the types of people needed for these functions are not necessarily ones that existed before. So procurement is a great example of this. I see plenty of surveys going around now saying that leaders, CPOs, heads of finance think that their current team is not necessarily the right team for three to four years from now. And they don't know where exactly they're going to get those professionals. So the way that I think of intake in relationship to what many would call a talent crunch is that intake extends and augments your current team. A lot of what we've talked about in the past you know, 20 minutes or so is that we are taking your procurement policy, we're embedding it as code, and we're actually pushing it out to stakeholders so that they can do a bit more of the work up front or so that you can collect better information, more information from them more easily that makes the downstream process that results from intake more effective, more efficient, automated in some cases. And that's just one example. I used to work with an organization that would take 20 to 30 minutes to generate a virtual card because a lot of the time they would realize they'd gotten to a step in generating that card where they would need to properly code the purchase. They would need a receipt or verification of the vendor information. They have to go back and hunt for these things. With intake attached to the virtual card process, it takes them two to three minutes to do a card. There's not really any exceptions to this anymore. So when I talk to a lot of our customers, the benefit, first and foremost with intake, is yes, the adoption, but they become much more efficient. One person I've talked to actually has measured it. He says, each person on my team is four times more efficient wow. and more productive because of this. Wow. That's where this fits in, actually, is that we have resource constraints. We need to be more efficient because procurement is being asked to do more with less. The intake process, because of the adoption and interaction with stakeholders, ultimately makes you much more productive so that you can, in the category managed example, spend more time on these specific strategy and planning elements while not necessarily making these processes autonomous in terms of no touch, but oversee them correctly so that you can spend less time being the shepherd, the handholder through each of these minor steps. And I guess part of that efficiency is also data, because it feels like the more data that an intake system can have, the more powerful it's going to be. So, you know, the one level, there's the stuff that you tell it in terms of your preferred agreements and how you want to go about sourcing something. But at the other extreme, there's that guided piece you talked about where it's actually perhaps able to guide you towards a particular marketplace to a particular supply base. And that requires really good access to good global data for a particular category or product at any point in time. So is it fair to say that the intake systems will become more and more powerful as they get more and more data? And how is it doing that? What's your approach to data? They absolutely will. 
for all the reasons you just suggested. There's a lot of exhaust that comes with running these workflows in terms of how fast they're happening, in terms of what people are buying. These are, in effect, intent signals for what people are asking for or how people would like the process to go. When you're in procurement and you're orchestrating across all these other systems, and it might not just be in the platform itself that is doing the orchestration, you might be pulling in data signals from other systems that are connected to your process. The idea here and what you're hinting at, which is the end goal, not just for us, but probably any orchestration system, is to take that data and use that in your category strategy in order to inform how you're working. Tailspin is a great example because what is Tailspin ultimately other than a source of unmanaged spend. A lot of people go into a tailspin management project because they have a bunch of unmanaged spend that they ultimately need to better categorize and then strategically source. It's very much the same thing here. It's like you're using that demand capture of intake to inform strategy down the line. I think what you're also going to see increasingly as orchestration systems work on multiple ends of the process, including supplier risk and onboarding, for example, you're going to collect more of that data. And we're seeing this now too. And you're going to collect that data repeatedly across different suppliers. There's going to be standardization around that so that you can not only automate that part of the process, but then also provide guidance to which vendors typically have specific kinds of certifications, credentials, etc. So that's obviously where an orchestration system wants to go is by sitting in this layer above or integrated with other systems, you have access to so much data. Using that data to provide proactive insights and recommendations is the future state that a lot of these vendors of orchestration will want to pursue. Mm -hmm. You mentioned vendor certifications and compliance, for example. I can't help but ask, how does this affect general competitiveness amongst suppliers? I think when you look at it from a certification or qualification perspective, you're going to want to be able to show either an STP system or an orchestration vendor that you repeatedly maintain these kinds of things. The big part of this, even a more basic example, is how we have worked in the renewals space for contract management, seeing that a lot of companies come up against a problem around, it's contract renewal time, I haven't been alerted early enough, there wasn't anything tracked with this, and I don't know what to do. And there's usually a mad scramble that's mostly offline to get this done. In contrast, when you have this process better codified, you're looking at the renewal a month or two in advance and you're saying, are the certifications still done? Is this price still competitive? Do we need to go out to market? I think a lot of suppliers are going to start looking at, oh, I'm being brought into the system or I'm being given information from the system about how I need to interact. I need to be prepared to interact with this technology vendor, the orchestration system, in order to present my best foot because if I'm ultimately going to connect with multiple people through the system, I want to be putting my best foot forward. Mm. Mm. Intake systems, they must need to commoditize a product as much as possible. I'm thinking that this must be the whole way in which it works. So it can identify and compare it in order to source. But in doing so, is there a risk that specific nuances or requirements get lost because you have to generalize everything? For example, we may be sourcing something standard, but with specific sustainability requirements or something that might prevent us from using certain providers or geographies. There's a lot of narrative that perhaps needs to be expressed. Does that narrative get lost? I don't think so at all, actually. And again, it's about the dynamic routing that these systems can enable. If there is more of a narrative, more of these things that might be squishy factors, that's going to be routed more often than not to a sourcing team so that they can effectively gather the requirements. When there are types of purchases that can be more commoditized and more easily prepared and compared, then that should route to a catalog, a marketplace, 
a simple transactional purchase. We are much more effectively with these systems orchestrating every activity that happens in procurement by getting them, the right word probably is triaging them to the most effective sources of help. In the past, I think the difference was that some of these squishy things, they mostly took place offline and people weren't able to see into the process. And that's the thing I talk about a lot is the history of this market is that, again, intake is not a new topic. It actually was most often associated in the past with sourcing vendors who had an intake to a sourcing process. The trouble was there was an intake for that process, but then there might have been a different intake, usually like a purchase requisition form to the P2P system. The difference here is that an orchestration system is creating one front door for all of those processes and effectively routing every workflow to the right place. And I think the important thing, especially with the future of sourcing here, is not just collecting the basics and saying someone will reach out to you to talk about this event, but collecting more unstructured information, information that's more semantic in nature, trying to translate that into requirements and then taking those requirements and trying to translate that into an effective event, which, by the way, the stakeholder is brought in through that process to check and collaborate and validate what the sourcing team is doing at the same time, which ultimately builds more trust and a virtuous cycle of bringing those requirements, that involvement with procurement earlier in their process of selecting a purchase going into a new project. And that's what we want. So just thinking about timescales and how this is playing out, because people are adopting these things pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, your company, Zip, has really gone from, as we said at the start, zero to hero in just three years. Huge, huge growth, incredible growth. So I can see today how intake is the obvious thing to handle your tail spend. And you've talked a lot about the different workflows, the different way that intake can help with the other procurement processes of various complexities. How long is it going to take until you have one intake system that's handling all of those with those different workflows? How far away are we from that? Generally, mm. about a year. I really? don't think this is a slow wow. process. Wow. In fact, it's actually accelerated quite quickly because of a lot of the issues and the frustrations we talked about earlier. Yeah. Whether it is vendor lifecycle management, contract management, sourcing, P2P, the intake orchestration landscape will rapidly cover all of these areas and more within the next year. And I can say that from personal experience because we've gone from that zero to one motion in SDP very, very quickly. And I know that there are other vendors looking at this problem the same way. Everyone has started with their preferred intake use case, whether that might be to sourcing or to supplier onboarding and management or to purchasing. But to get the full value of the orchestration approach, you need to not only cover a wider swath of intakes to have that one front door experience, but then also reach down into the stack of how the process works in order to better inform that. Because as we talked about before, you need to take not only the demand signals and the data you're collecting, but then push that into the process itself to make it more automated, more effective, more intelligent. So very, very rapidly, you're going to see people build out linkages to multiple S2P processes and not just tail spend, but as we talked about complex services different types of catalog purchases or marketplace purchases, and yes, tailspend. And ultimately, the way I look at this is that procurement orchestration is the next evolution of source to pay. These systems will evolve into the new category because it is the more relevant and more effective paradigm that even right now, people are looking at this evolution and saying, we need to either build this or we need to partner to get it because people are clamoring for it. And the reason why is because of all these problems that have gone effectively unaddressed for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So when people are now looking at adopting these systems, they're looking to do so rapidly because they've reached a ceiling and they know they can go higher. They have all of these issues, whether it's around 
risks popping up, whether it's talent constraints, as we discussed. And they have now especially realized that this is the way forward. So the train is leaving the station and most people want to get on. It doesn't need to be just, you know, the first training in terms of an engine and maybe one car. They're effectively looking for the whole thing with the dining mm-hmm. car. Fantastic. I really must admit, yep. Nick, that when I think of intake, I <laughs> personally just think of food. I know where you're heading. <laughs> you know, yeah, yep. regular listeners to the procurement show will know what my last question is. So intake equals food, mm-hmm. and my favourite kind of food has to be a takeaway. So, Nick, I'd like to ask you, please, what are your three takeaways from this conversation today? Number one, intake is not a new thing or a new process. It is always something that's existed in procurement, and it actually is one of the most important parts of procurement because it is the interface between your stakeholders and demand. What's different about it, though, is that this is coalesced into a new category, what we call intake management. The second thing is that past providers have reached a ceiling in how they approach effectively driving the source-to-pay process in terms of adoption, in terms of ROI and the ability to effectively satisfy both procurement users, but more importantly, their ability to satisfy or, or their lack of to satisfy actually the stakeholders involved in the process. Because of that, number three, source to pay will evolve into procurement orchestration and people will start looking at this approach into procurement transformation, how they govern the process of sourcing and procurement in a completely new way. And that will be with systems that are much more configurable, much more user-friendly in terms of adoption, their approach to interacting with stakeholders. And ultimately, these systems will be the way that everyone orchestrates every aspect of the procurement process from workflows to data, to the suppliers and ecosystem partners that everyone must involve in the procurement process, which inherently is cross-functional in order to get their work done. That sounds hugely positive and hugely inspiring as well. So it's been insightful to have you on the procurement show. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Nick Heinzman from Zip, thank you very much indeed. Thank you both. You've been listening to the procurement show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us. On LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.